Welcome to Engage 360, Denver Seminary's podcast. Join us as we explore the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of scripture at work in our culture today. I'm Don Payne. I'm honored to serve as your host for this brand new podcast. We want to welcome you to the podcast and welcome all of our students back for the opening of the fall semester at whatever campus they're studying, whether the global online campus, uh, Washington, D.C., West Texas in Amarillo, or right here in Littleton. So this is Engage 360. Uh, This is our opportunity in podcast format to kind of push uh, the needle uh, ahead on the mission statement of Denver Seminary, which is to prepare men and women to engage the needs of the world with the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of Scripture. And our intent week by week is to interact with a wide variety of people doing a wide variety of things, uh, each of which will in some way help us explore what what that redemptive power of the gospel looks like in the world we inhabit. And we want to have some fun along the way. We want to enjoy each other, and we want to push each other. We want to explore, and we want to see how um, how this particular mission that God has given us is going to, uh, what it's going to look like in the world around us. So I'm honored on this uh, inaugural podcast, to on this inaugural episode, uh, to have uh, as guests the president of Denver Seminary, Dr. Mark Young. Welcome, Mark. Thank you. And our dean of students, Rob Foley. Rob, welcome. Thank you. So these gentlemen are going to join me for a conversation basically to introduce the podcast and tell a little bit about the backstory of why why we've done this, what we hope to accomplish, and and where we're headed from here. So I'm going to start with uh, Dr. Young and ask him to maybe speak to some of the overall patterns that have been taking shape in theological uh, education. That's part of the backstory for all of this. Oh, definitely it is. Uh, What we're observing is that uh, in the last, let's say, at least 20 years or more, students have begun to think differently about how they access theological education. So, Don, you and I went to seminary at a period of time where the institution would say, here we are, and they'd have this location, and then they'd say, you come into our location, and you can access theological education. Now what we're seeing is a lot of students who are saying, here's my life, Denver Seminary. You show me how you can fit theological education into my life. Notice the shift in movement, right? We expected students to move toward us years ago, and now the student is saying, you need to move toward us. So as a result, the way we educate students, the way we bring them into our community, the way we relate to them, the way we have influence in their lives has to change because we're simply not going to be able to fulfill our mission if we continue to insist that students attend and take and access theological education in the ways that we accessed it 20, 30 years mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. Now, a part of theological education, as most people would be familiar with it, uh, is a, a certain type of community life that is shared uh, by those in residence. And with, uh, with some of those changes you've just described, Mark, uh, that means that some of those aspects of community life Get, get reformed and refashioned as well because the, the, the things that have been done for so long and were very important and very meaningful, seems like those are more and more difficult to do, at least in the same way. 
one of those aspects, I think, is what is traditionally been called a chapel program, where a seminary community gathers for for worship on a on a weekly basis or with with some regularity, and and those are are really really important times because they. They give a sort of framing to the theological education process, a framing of worship, a framing of prayer, uh, a framing where the, the, the Word of God in, in some fashion can be proclaimed as the uh, kind of magnetic centering device for the otherwise kind of dispersing effect that analytical academic study can have. And so ch- that what's often been called a chapel program has been a really central part of a healthy seminary community. Um, Rob, this has uh, intersected the work that you do as dean of students because mm-hmm. you, in your office, have overseen our, our chapel program for some years, and maybe you can speak a little bit to some of the trends you've seen in that arena. Sure. Um, you know, one of the phrases you just used uh, was the, the magnetic locus point or something to that effect. I think uh, there's, there's been a shift along with what uh, Dr. Young was just talking about in terms of where students know that they experience community. Um, so in the, the feedback we've consistently gotten over almost the last decade from students is uh, kind of a, an outcry for the school to acknowledge and support the efforts that they're making already to experience God and experience others and pursue uh, holy living in their own communities, wherever that might be. And so that is also a, a bit of a switch in terms of what Dr. Young was saying. And, uh, you know, back in the day, so to speak, the education. By the, the day, you mean our day. Right? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. No disclosed. No age was is not disclosed lost. here. But it's the, it's the switch of, uh, of a school saying, come to us and access us where we are, versus now the student is. It's exactly right. The student is saying, I need you to access me where I am. So there, there is a, uh, a change in atmosphere of what community looks like at an institution. Um, there still is a, a need and a desire to create opportunities for students to connect uh, with other students, with faculty and with staff, to create meaningful relationships. But there also is a, uh, a need for institutions to recognize and acknowledge uh, what's going on in the life of the student where they live. And so um, one, of the, one of the goals with, with the podcast is access, access, access. For students to be able to access the theologically rich information and the spiritually formative information and material and, and content that we as a seminary, as a theological uh, institution of higher education want to disseminate, want to offer to those who, uh, who wish to, uh, to engage it, uh, but in a way that, uh, that allows students to access it where they are. Um, and so there, there's, there's going to be some reciprocity we'll have to learn with this of, of re-understanding our role as a school in creating opportunities for community to happen. Uh, while also acknowledging and supporting the efforts students are making within their own communities. So that's the feedback we've received over over years now of students that, saying in a variety of ways, chapel feels like a duplicated effort of what we're already doing 
through the weekend with my family or with my community, uh, with my peers at the church where I worship, uh, the church where I invest my time and energy, or in my pursuit to find a church. Um, and and a, a school um, is not a church. It's not that place where they uh, will find that church community. But there is there's merit and and uh, in coming together as we would say doxologically, right, to frame our experience here as a seminary family uh, within praise and worship of God. And there will be opportunities to continue doing that sans a chapel program. So I responded to your question, so I probably responded to some others you didn't ask. But, but, but I was going to ask. Yeah. Um, but, on, but on that note, before you um, pursue that a little bit further, it might help to name something that I can almost anticipate, at least from people in my generation, when you talk about some of the the trends of students um, wanting and needing for seminary education and seminary services to come their way, uh, I, th- I think there are some, in maybe in my generation and even up above, who would say that that's um, rather consumeristic. Um, but I wonder whether it's more or really a case of just the increasing complexity of students' lives. It, do, do you see that to be the case? Yeah, I think there are a couple of mistakes we make when we generalize about the seminary student body. A lot of us, or a lot of folks who aren't a part of the seminary community, imagine a group of 18-year-olds leaving home to go to a place to have an educational experience. And actually, sometimes we'll catch ourselves, like when we're talking with others, talking about the kids. The kids. Yeah. <laughs> But the reality is the average age of a student at Denver Seminary is 34. So as a result, we're educating adults, adults with families, adults with jobs, adults with children. We're really not creating, or I shouldn't say it this way, our primary student body isn't that 18 to 20-year-old. In fact, they'd be, that'd be unusual. Even that 22 to 25-year-old who isn't married, doesn't have a job, and is just coming to Denver Seminary to study, right? Right. So when we talk about whether or not these students are as committed or whether or not they're willing to make the sacrifices necessary, we're, we're talking about levels of sacrifice that many of us could not or would not make. Right, because for you and I, who uh, launched into seminary immediately after our undergrad, that was a very different game. A totally different. And a somewhat game. different world, and life was far less encumbered. That's exactly for us right. in doing seminary. In the, I think in another day. another mistake we make is you know we talk about different campuses, right? We have the Littleton campus and still the majority of our students are enrolled in the Littleton campus as well as our fully online campus we call it Global Campus DC as well as West Texas. But the average student even the ones who are coming in person to the Littleton campus are still taking only 15 credit hours per year. Now think about that. We probably took 15, over 15 per semester, clearly because we were more brilliant. Well, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> no, because our lives were less encumbered. Yeah. So even though we have more students on the Littleton campus at any given time, we only have a small percentage of the total number of students on campus. Mm-hmm. They come from work, they take a class, they go back to work. They come in the evening, they come on the weekend, they come at various times to fit their schedule. 
And so as a result, having the whole student body in a place at a time for chapel is fundamentally, mathematically impossible. Yeah. And I think it's worth uh, uh, stating that, that while um, to, to, to some that may look like uh, people trying to just kind of fit seminary into a sidebar of their lives, it takes an enormous amount of commitment and sacrifice to fit seminary classes into an already really jammed life because you still have a sense that God wants to do something with you for which you need theological education. That's right. And, and I, I would, on a personal level, want to really underscore and affirm the significance of the sacrifice that students do make to do it in uh, sometimes the creative ways they have to, to do this in these already really full jammed Lives. Right. So all of that then um, brings us to this point where, as Mark, you've said quite uh, a number of times, we, we can't simply just recycle seminary education in the same kind of packaging and delivery systems that has always been done, that did work well generations ago, but simply will not get the job done these days. Um, Rob, you, you alluded to some change. One of the ways that this will impact us is in the chapel program. So why don't mm-hmm. you speak a little bit more about that, what you've seen and, and what we want to do moving forward. Sure. Well, it might be helpful to provide a little context about the chapel program. Um, the chapel services were uh, 45 minutes to an hour every Monday and Tuesday from 11 to noon. And uh, there there was a, uh, an attendance requirement, but uh, the, the school allowed students, uh, I think it's a pretty gracious attendance requirement, uh, to opt in and to opt out as long as uh, 10 services were attended uh, in a given semester. And then a student could count that semester toward their attendance requirement. The, uh, the assumption was that this was a huge arrested audience for any message that the seminary might have to, to d- disperse up upon this audience. What we found over uh, at least the the nine years I've been here is that we really, um, there was just a, a confluence of a number of challenges uh, that that we had to to address with that, some of it being uh, values driven and more more philosophy, if you if you might say, of of the value of chapel, and also the logistics. and and they really blended together to to create this. Uh, kind of a perfect storm where we we had to take a, a look, put everything on the table. Uh, something I've appreciated about Dr. Young's leadership is is the allowance for everything to be on the table to to evaluate and and are we effectively meeting the intended outcomes? Do we place the right kind of value on this based on what students are getting from it? Um, and one of the things we we learned is that uh, unless some significant structural changes were were to be made, we were just not going to have a whole lot of influence on uh, increasing uh, chapel attendance. Um, we We found that we were averaging between eighty, maybe a hundred um, uh, in in one of those given days on a Monday and Tuesday. And over the last eight years, that was that was in a steady uh, decline, despite a number of efforts to to try to uh, bolster it. Um, and so we we had to listen to that. We had to pay attention to that. What did that mean? What is that saying in terms of um, what what students 
how, how students might be perceiving the value of chapel and, and perceiving their engagement with that. We had to ask, uh, is, is the chapel format in its, in its traditional uh, hallmark type of delivery model the only way to, to produce the outcomes, uh, as we've talked about, the irreducibles of framing uh, theological higher education within praise and worship of, of who God is? And the, the, the answer was uh, no, that wasn't the only way. And so uh, that, that, would, that, that resulted in a group coming together and, and evaluating what would some other opportunities be. Uh, fast forward, we, we uh, started to evaluate what the idea of, of doing a podcast would look like. So that then leaves the question of, well, if you take something away, what what might you replace it with? Do you leave that void? And, and the answer to that question is no, absolutely not, because again, there's value and merit to creating gathering points for on-site physical. I can see you, and you can mm-hmm. see me, in in a a worshipful posture um, of of reflection of of worship of um, of hands up, eyes closed, hands folded on our knees, whatever posture that might look like, of, of pursuing uh, uh, relationship with Christ. So in a, in a somewhat counterintuitive move, um, by, by stepping away from the weekly rhythm, which this, this would then get into some of the logistical challenge of, of chapel, um, it, it required a, a tremendous amount of, of resources and, and effort to, to pull off. If you think of what that what's required in a, in a you know to coordinate a Sunday uh, 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 Sunday services on a weekend. That's what we were doing um, on every Monday and Tuesday, from um, from finding speakers to hosting them to uh, coordinating all of the audio and visual. It goes on and on and right, on. Right. Right. Um, so by stepping away from that. It will actually free those of us who are involved in coordinating those efforts. It will free the, free us up to invest uh, in in more strategic points of gathering students, gathering those who are part of the community throughout a semester in uh, spiritually formative, uh, worshipful types of contexts. So. So what does that look like? We, we will still retain two to three to four, maybe upwards of five on some semesters of an on-site gathering uh, of some kind. And then the Student Life Office, which is uh, the, the team that I can speak to is my team, will be involved in uh, a variety of other um, efforts to engage students to grow spiritual vitality. Um, and spiritual vitality is is so connected to what we we sometimes overlook as uh, you know, it's not just uh, a worship service. Although in all of that, all of the beauty of a worship service, there are aspects of spiritual vitality that get into the the social relational aspect of our lives, the the mental and physical health and well being of who we are as as uh, creations of of God how we recreate with other aspects of creation. And so these are elements of the whole being of a student that we will uh, uh, now be focusing on um, 
along with those strategic gathering points. In in those strategic gathering points, I know uh, it's really important uh, to Dr. Young to have an opportunity to address the seminary community at the outset of each semester. Uh, Mark, do you want to say a little bit more about that? Sure, I'd love to. Uh, it's been my privilege throughout the 10 years I've been here to think through what God would have me say to our community theologically to encourage them in their studies, to encourage their walk with Christ. So we will have an opportunity at convocation this fall for us to gather as a community and for me to speak from Scripture, from my heart, from what God is saying to us about why we're doing what we're doing and what it leads to. So I'm looking forward to those opportunities. I, I think the fact that they will occur less frequently will actually raise the level of anticipation and the level of participation. Uh, I do believe, like Rob, that it's important for us to gather. I, I think it's important for us to see one another in worship. I also think it's important to say at Denver Seminary, uh, we're going to be constantly assessing what we're doing. And so, you know, sometimes in higher ed, you make a change and people assume, well, it's going to be that way forever. But no, no, all of us are asking the question, if what we were doing isn't meeting the needs of the students, is what we're currently doing meeting the needs of our students? And if we can honestly say it isn't, then we'll figure out another way mm -hmm. to meet those same needs. So I want to say thank you to the community, for Rob, to you, Don, to Dr. Kohick and others who helped pioneer this idea, because I do think it creates an opportunity for us to create those centering messages that everybody has an opportunity to hear. It creates an opportunity for us to reconsider what it means to gather together periodically throughout the school year and truly worship together. And at the end of a couple of years, we'll take another hard look at it and say, is it working or isn't it, is it not? Right. And then move forward from there. Right. Well, one of the things that excites me, and I think a number of us, about the, uh, the podcast, Engage 360, is the opportunity now to have an equal platform for all students at Denver Seminary, regardless of the, the location where they live, the campus uh, that is their primary uh, point of contact. Um, now we have one unified voice for Denver Seminary through this podcast and one unified opportunity for every student um, as well as uh, alums and other constituents, friends of the seminary, and uh, it, it, in fact, just the broader ministry community to connect with the seminary, to hear from us, hear what's going on here, and then to, to kind of enter with us in this process of, of res wrestling through the, the thorniest, thickest problems that are going on in our culture which need the redemptive power of the gospel, the right. redemptive touch of the gospel. And we, we want to be able to do that uh, in a wide variety of ways with, with really interesting conversations that are going to have something to say to people, even potentially around the globe. Mm -hmm. that's, that's correct. It's very difficult for a, a committed donor, for example, who is fully engaged in a career to come to chapel on a Monday or a Tuesday from 11 to noon, uh, or for alumni who are engaged in ministry or other activities. So this gives us an opportunity to address not just current students, but prospective students mm -hmm. who may be interested to hear what are the messages that matter to Denver Seminary, graduates who are working in all parts of the world 
as well as friends and donors of the seminary. So I'm thrilled with the possibility that this type of medium has for us to be able to reach those broader audiences. Dr. Young, tell us a little bit about um, how Denver Seminary's mission and core commitments will inform what we do on this podcast. Well, like everything we do at Denver Seminary, we, we believe that this podcast will help us accomplish our mission, which is to prepare men and women to engage the needs of the world with the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of Scripture. There are some significant words there that matter in that mission statement, engage. It means we don't stand back from the world that God has created and from the mess that we've created in the world that God created, that we step into it. We engage with the needs of people in the world. Gospel and Scripture, we believe that it's the gospel that redeems, that rescues and restores humanity, and that it's Scripture that guides us in our engagement with the world as we live out who we are in Christ. Alongside of that mission statement, we have five core commitments that we believe define the educational experience at Denver Seminary. Uh, The first is what we call biblical authority, and we say that we are people of the book. The seminary was founded by a group of people who believe that the Scripture, the Bible, is the final word for faith and practice. It creates for us a foundation of what we believe and how we are to live. Secondly, we say that we believe in vigorous scholarship. We're committed to vigorous scholarship. You may have heard the phrase rigorous scholarship, and in some disciplines, rigorous scholarship means knowing more and more about less and less. When we say vigorous scholarship, we imply two things. Number one, we want to answer questions that matter. And number two, we want to do it in an intellectually challenging and satisfying arena. And that's why we like to say we are people of truth. We want to seek truth from all disciplines and interpret it within the framework that Scripture provides for us theologically. Our third core commitment is what we call charitable orthodoxy. By that, we mean we are committed to the great truths of our faith, and we recognize that within the framework of those great truths, there are disagreements that we've had historically. Some of them have lasted five centuries or more. We recognize that people of good faith come to different conclusions, theologically and hermeneutically. So the question is, rather than going to war with one another and trying to convince one another that we have the only way to think about it or to condemn one another when we don't agree, how do we learn from one another within the framework of these great truths that have defined Christianity? And so that's why we say we are people of the faith the core commitments of faith that have been a part of the Christian tradition since the early church. Our fourth core commitment is what we call redemptive relationships. And let's face it, the gospel message is a message of redemption. It's God's great act on our behalf to step into our lives, to rescue us from the mess we've gotten ourselves into and the penalty of sin, which is death, and to restore us to life in its fullness. That's why we say we are people of the gospel. But we believe this gospel is best understood and best lived out in relationship with one another. And so we value being able to know students, relate to students, listen to students, engage with one another, whether that's face-to-face in a classroom or around the table, 
whether that's through a virtual classroom, through Zoom, or whether that's through a threaded discussion, all the different ways we relate to one another. And we believe that in those relationships, we live redemptively with one another, wanting to help one another bring our lives more in line with what Christ is asking of us. And our fifth core commitment is global concern. By this, we simply mean we are people of the kingdom of God. We believe that God is at work establishing his people as a foretaste, as, as a glimpse, as perhaps a, a little aroma of what ultimately he's going to do when he establishes his reign over all the earth, all the earth, all the earth. And if that's God's concern, then that needs to be our concern as well. Dr. Young, thanks. Thanks for that, uh, that invigorating closing challenge to us that really set the pace, uh, kind of chart the trajectory for, for this podcast, for Engage 360. And I think listeners will know what we mean even by the name uh, in light of what you've, uh, you've just outlined for us. Uh, so thank you, Rob. Thank you for all that you've done, uh, you and your team, uh, and the Dean of Students Office uh, to, to bring us this far and your, your tireless labors there. Uh, to our, for our entire production team, I uh, want to thank them and want to welcome you to Engage 360. I'm Don Payne. I'll be your host and look forward to interacting with you. I encourage you both to uh, subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends about us, and then communicate with us uh, at podcast at denverseminary.edu. And we will see you next week. Take care. <laughs>